Oh, wait. I, I told y'all I was asking for big vision. If I uh, am walking with just a bit of a limp today, there's a good reason. Uh, my sweet sister-in-law, Debbie Ashley, and my wife got together over the Christmas holidays and decided that they would like to get ready and train to run the uh, 10K at the Cowtown Marathon yesterday in downtown Fort Worth, and they started to do their training. My daughter, Morgan, decided at some point that maybe she would like to run with them, but Morgan has been on the uh, track team and the cross-country team at high school, and they quickly determined Morgan would probably want to run faster than they would want to run, but the idea of her running with 5,000 people by herself through Fort Worth was not appealing to them, so at the last moment, they announced that I would run with Morgan. So we did that yesterday, and I've got to tell you, it went pretty well. I finished, I thought, fairly strong. I felt like I could even have gone a couple of more miles. Everything was good until we went to Starbucks, and we sat down for 30 minutes. <laughs> then I stood up, and my 48-year-old body has been telling me ever since, you, get, you reap what you sow. <laughs> it reminded me of something I read some years ago I want to share with you about a man who got a very interesting Christmas present. For Christmas this year, my wife purchased me a week of private lessons at the local health club. Well, I called and made reservations with someone named Tanya, who said she is a 26-year-old aerobics instructor and athletic clothing model. My wife seemed very pleased with how enthusiastic I was to get started. (laughs) Day one, they suggest I keep this exercise diary to chart my progress this week. Started the morning at 6 a.m. Tough to get up, but worth it when I arrived at the health club and Tanya was waiting for me. She's something of a goddess with blonde hair and a dazzling white smile. She showed me the machines and took my pulse after five minutes on the treadmill. She seemed a little alarmed that it was so high, but I think just standing next to her added about 10 points. (laughs) Tanya was very encouraging as I did my sit-ups. Though my gut was already aching a little from holding it in the whole time I was talking to her. (laughs) This is going to be great. Day two. Took a whole pot of coffee to get me out the door, but I made it. Tanya had me lie on my back and pushed this heavy iron bar up into the air. Then she put weights on it. (laughs) Legs were a little wobbly on the treadmill, but I made it the full mile. Her smile made it all worth it. Muscles feel great. Day three. The only way I can brush my teeth is by laying the toothbrush on the counter and moving my mouth <laughs> back and forth over it. Driving was okay as long as I didn't try to steer. I parked on top of a Volkswagen. Tanya was a little impatient with me and said my screaming was bothering the other club members. (laughs) Day four, Tanya was waiting for me with her vampire teeth in a full snarl. (laughs) I can't help it if I was a half hour late. It took me that long just to tie my shoes. I hid in the men's room until she sent Lars looking for me. Day five. I hate Tanya more than any human being has ever hated another human being in the history of the world. If there were any part of my body not in extreme pain, I would hit her with it. She thought it would be a good idea to work on my triceps. Well, I have news for you, Tanya. I don't have triceps. And if you don't want dents in the floor, don't hand me any more barbells. Day six, got Tanya's message on my answering machine. Wandering where I am, I lack the strength to use the TV remote, so I watched 11 straight hours of the Weather Channel. (laughs) And day seven, well, that's the week. Glad it's over. Maybe next time my wife will give me something a little more fun, like a root canal or a kidney stone. (laughs) Well, it makes a simple point. It's not enough just to be dissatisfied with how things are. You must... Be willing to pay the price to see things change.
Anybody can complain about status quo. But who's willing to do what it takes to make things better? It takes vision and it takes a commitment to see that vision become reality. For example, let me tell you a true story about a nine-year-old girl. She was born in Birmingham, Alabama during the years of segregation. She couldn't go to the best schools. She couldn't even go with her parents to the local Woolworth and sit at the counter and order a hamburger. But her parents were strong Christians. Her father was a part-time minister. And they told their little girl she could be whatever she wanted to be. And that she could fulfill her dreams because God created her to be more than mediocre. When she was nine, they took her to Washington, D.C. They could not stay in a hotel. So mom and dad took turns driving the car all night long while she slept so their daughter could see the Capitol. And the next day they got out and walked to the White House. And someone took her picture in front of that building. And that nine-year-old girl said, someday I will work there. And it's four decades later. And our Secretary of State, Condoleezza Rice, does work there. And it wasn't just that she had a vision That things needed to change. But she was willing to do what it took to get there. You see, I I don't believe God is honored when a person or a church just passively accepts how things are as how they have to stay. And I'm very blessed to serve with elders who think the same way. For the last couple of years... Your leaders have been wrestling with a strong sense that we think was given to us by God that we were in danger of settling for a church that was less than she was called to be. We did a lot of thinking, a lot of praying. We even did some study. We read a book together by a man named Randy Pope called The Prevailing Church. And we asked ourselves some very hard questions. Including, is this church, the Richland Hills Church of Christ, a prevailing church or is it a precautionary church? Let me define my terms. A prevailing church is a church that moves, advances, conquers with regard to whatever he thinks its mission is. But a precautionary church is a church that plays it safe. That never risks because it doesn't want to fail or experience harm or danger. And we recognize that many factors were coming together to influence our church unconsciously to develop a precautionary mindset. Nobody wants to think that way. Nobody intends to think that way. But things are happening that could seduce us into thinking that way. One factor is the fact that we're almost a 50-year-old church. We'll celebrate our 50th anniversary next year. And you've heard me say only 2% of churches in America that are 50 years old are still growing and reaching people. Another factor is for a lot of us, including myself, I can honestly say this is the best church I've ever been a part of. And it's very easy if you're at what you think is the best church you've ever been a part of to become content and just enjoy how it is instead of praying that it become more. I think another factor is that huge debt we lived under for years. And we're finally out from under it. And there's a part of us that just wants to sigh and go, boy, that feels good. Let's just rest a while. And besides that, there's a lot going on here. Our plates are full. I don't know many people that are walking up to me saying, there's just nothing more I could be doing. Give me something. And on top of all that, anytime a church moves out, it changes where it was. And change isn't popular with most people. Change often is accompanied by controversy. And who needs that? And so without intending to, we recognize that if we didn't do something intentionally, we would become a precautionary church. And we recognize the best way to combat that mindset was to ask God for a vision, 
A vision so big and so grand, it would challenge us and it would energize us to become what God wants us to be. And this we began to do. And one of the things that we had to wrestle with is how do you receive a vision from God? And we recognized in Scripture, vision doesn't typically come to committees. It comes to individuals. And so the elders began to pray that God would give us a vision, and in particular, that God would help me to see it so that I could articulate it. Because this is how God often works. You remember Nehemiah, whose job it was to go back to Jerusalem and rebuild the walls and reclaim that city for God. But it says in chapter 2 of the book of Nehemiah, and in verse 12, I had not told anyone yet about the plans God had put in my heart. They were plans the whole city would embrace. They were plans the whole leadership would endorse. But first they were given to Nehemiah. And the elders affirmed me and asked me to pray and fast as they prayed over me. That God would give us, and especially me, a vision. I believe God's done that. I see now that God has been raising up passions in me for over 20 years. And they're all coming together to prepare me and us for this moment. I believe God has given me 2020 vision. I want to share with you this morning three thoughts about vision. And the first is this. That a God-given vision focuses on the mission of Christ. Now, that may seem obvious, but the truth is it seems a lot of churches' vision has nothing to do with Jesus' mission. I don't know if it's still there, but a few years ago you could have gone to Atlanta and got a wonderful chicken lunch at the Church of God Grill. It used to be a mission. And to help support the mission, they would cook chicken dinners after Sunday services. And the dinners became so popular, they shut down the mission and just became a restaurant. That happens more than you know it. You see, I've been preaching now for over a quarter of a century. And I have come to a conclusion about a tragic reality in most churches. You know what it is? That many Christians are very forgiving if the church neglects the lost, but are very unforgiving if the church neglects the saved. In 25 years, I've never yet had a family come and say, we're going to leave the church where you preach because... We don't think we're doing enough to reach lost people. I've had a lot of families come up and say, we're going to leave because you're not doing enough for us. Somehow, we lost our focus on the mission. And you don't have to wonder what the mission is because right before Jesus ascended, he told his disciples, here's the agenda. Here's the mission. In Acts 1, in verse 8, He said to them, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And what you will find in the book of Acts is basically an outline of them being witnesses in these four arenas where Jesus had sent them. The story begins in Jerusalem and the Holy Spirit comes just like he promised in Acts 2 to fill them with power and boldness to reach Jerusalem. And then persecution comes and they pray for more boldness and they're filled with the Holy Spirit to go out and reach Judea. And then they go in Acts 8 into Samaria, the next step. And do you remember what happened? Something very strange. Samaritans are baptized, but they don't receive the Holy Spirit. Not until the leaders from Jerusalem come up and put hands on them. What's happening there? Well, God knows the enmity between Jews and Samaritans is so great that Samaritans will not accept the authority of the apostles unless they realize it was through their leadership they received the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is bringing unity to the church of Jesus Christ. But then you get a few chapters later, and it's time to go to the ends of the earth to reach Gentiles. And Cornelius, you'll remember, gets the Holy Spirit before he is baptized. Now, what's going on there? And again, God knows the Jews feel so superior to Gentiles, he didn't want to create a situation where the Jews said, you wouldn't even have the Holy Spirit if it wasn't for us. 
I read all these books about all these convoluted timetables and dispositions about the Holy Spirit. Forget all that. Bottom line, Jesus said, go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. And the Holy Spirit did whatever it took to help the church fulfill the mission of Jesus. He still does. Don't put the Holy Spirit in a box. The Holy Spirit's going to do whatever it takes to shake the church to go and accomplish the mission of Jesus. And I happen to believe the strategy that Jesus gave the first church is still a viable strategy today. He said, you'll be my witnesses. And as I reflected and prayed over that verse, I believe God gave me a vision. And so today I am announcing what we're going to call here at Richland Hills the Witness Direction Program. And I want you to learn that language. The Witness Direction Program. And I'm going to teach you four words now. Because we're going to be using these four words for the next 15 years. And I want you to become comfortable with them and I want you to learn them. Because in these four arenas, we believe God has given us a strategy to be faithful, spirit-filled witnesses. The first word is Jerusalem. Now, Jerusalem is directing our witness to our local community in northeast Tarrant County. Jerusalem is our call from God to reach the lost who live around us, right here in this part of the world where this church is planted. We're asking God to give us vision and a burden for our Jerusalem. Now, let me tell you what Judea is. Judea is directing our witness to the metroplex and beyond to cultures like our own. Let's be honest. We're going to be very honest today. The predominant culture of our church is middle-class Caucasian. And Judea, just like it's similar to the culture of Jerusalem, all around Tarrant County and the Metroplex are cultures similar to the culture of this church. And we have a passion to reach Judea. And so God is going to give us a vision to do so. But what's Samaria? Well, you see, when Jesus said go to Samaria, he's talking about more than geographical distance. There were people in Judea that were further from the disciples in Jerusalem than Samaritans. It wasn't that the Samaritans were geographically so far away. They were culturally far away. To take the gospel to Samaria is to intentionally do multicultural ministry. To understand that not every church is going to look just like the church in Jerusalem. And so Samaria is going to be directing our witness to multicultural communities in Tarrant County and beyond. And then, of course, our Lord said, go to the ends of the earth. And this means directing our witness to other nations around the world. He said, my spirit will give you power to go to your city, to your community, to cross cultural bridges, and to even go into other nations. You see, a spirit-filled church doesn't maintain. A spirit-filled church marches. And that tells me the second thing about God-given vision. And that is that it looks to conquer, not consolidate. A spirit-filled church doesn't just take things as they are and try to hold on. It's always trying to grow and move for Jesus Christ. It's easy to get settled. True story, over 350 years, some pilgrims crossed the Atlantic in small little boats, a dangerous 3,000-mile trip across an ocean. They got to the New World. First year, they built a town. Second year, they elected a town government third year the town government said let's build a road five miles west into the wilderness the fourth year the town impeached the government because they said why do we need to be going off into the wilderness they could cross three thousand miles on a journey but once they got settled they couldn't go five miles more that's a precautionary mindset let me tell you how it works out in church i can tell you how you You can recognize a precautionary church and a prevailing church. A precautionary church 
is driven by the fear that if we make changes, saved people might leave. A prevailing church is driven by the conviction if we don't make changes, lost people won't come. If we're going to be a missional church, a spirit-filled church, if we're going to be a church with a God-given vision, we're going to study our culture accurately, and we're going to be willing to eliminate any barrier to reach lost people as long as it doesn't compromise biblical truth. By the way, this church has a track record of thinking this way because often we live at a church and every day the changes are imperceptible. We don't realize over time the church has changed a lot. I've been here 15 years. This church doesn't look anything like it did when I was here 15 years ago. It has changed so much. It's changed the structure of its leadership and how they shepherd. It's changed the way we worship with praise teams and contemporary music on slides. It's changed the way we do youth ministry. We didn't have 24-7 and all the things we're doing on Wednesday night 15 years ago. It's changed so much of our missions approach. We didn't have Harvest Sunday. It's changed the way we do ministry. We actually had something back then called non-deacon-led ministries. Now try that. It's a mouthful. A non-service-led service. We have made a lot of changes here. And almost every time they involve some degree of controversy. But look how God has blessed us. So I'm just going to tell you right now. Change is coming. Because you can't be on the march and stay where you are at the same time. We asked you to pray that God would show us new things. Not that God would show us how to keep doing old things. And we think God has answered your prayers. We're going to share with you now some of the new things. Believing God is going to continue to show us things. This is not the definitive list of all the things that we're going to do. But we believe God has given us vision. 2020 vision. Let's start with Jerusalem. We believe God has big plans for our local community. This might be the one area that will be the most fluid. Because I promise you every year we will pray for more new ways to reach Jerusalem. But right now in the immediate future, let me tell you some of the new things we're going to do. We intend to hire someone to work in our youth ministry to develop a support system for troubled people teenagers. Four years ago, we built the 24-7 program and we asked God to send us teenagers and he did. Our attendance on Wednesday night went from 150 to 500 teenagers. They're coming from all over Northeast Tarrant County and they're coming with lots of issues. And it's not enough just to say, well, be well and filled. We'll pray for you. Sign a list. Go home. If we ask God to send us kids We've got to do everything we know to do to bless and help those kids. And so we are going to create a ministry that's going to get into the schools of all of Northeast Tarrant County. And counselors are going to know if I've got a kid having some real tough times, there is a place to go and get help. Let me ask you, hold up your hand if you became a Christian before you were 20 years old. Hold up your hand. That's what I thought. A church that takes Jesus' mission seriously takes kids seriously. That's one of our dreams for Jerusalem. Another dream we have you've heard much about, we're going to try something new this year in the spring called Cross Talk, Crosswalk Weekend. It's going to be the week before Easter. Here's what we're going to do on Friday night. We've got two Christian comedians coming in for a show. Bob Lilly, the Hall of Famer, is going to be here to be interviewed and give his testimony. On Saturday, over a hundred people in our church have uh, volunteered to give their services free of charge to the community. We're talking everything from haircuts and pedicures to tax preparation and car maintenance. And we're going to serve this community in Jesus' name. And then on Sunday, I am going to preach a sermon, the Sunday before Easter on the cross. And if there was one Sunday a year that you could say to an unsaved friend, come and hear the gospel, this will be it. I'm going to make this a tradition every year, the Sunday before Easter. We're going to preach the cross, and in one sermon, you're lost friend is going to understand 
why he needs Jesus. So that's something we're going to try this year, and we're excited. Something else we're going to do is we're going to really study how to use this incredible facility, this debt-free facility, to the glory of God in a better way, to maximize our space. One of the things we want to do, we're going to take the library area, we're going to make that into a nice coffee bar and a bookstore, and we believe we can create a ministry where people all during the week are in this building. We're also going to eventually uh, give this room a makeover. And we have great plans for this building. It is a marvelous facility. And we're going to use it better to the glory of God. One more thing we're thinking. we got a problem, folks. The problem is the way we're currently doing church here does not give us a future. Three services. We're trying to get over 4,000 people on and off this property from 8 till 12 o'clock. We can't get visitors and lost people to come to the 8 o'clock service. The 9.30 service is packed. The 11 o'clock service doesn't have a lot of room. we got to do something. Staying how it is is not an option. Not only that, but the state of Texas has already told us they're going to come in a few years. They're going to widen H20 and they're going to take a big chunk of our parking lot and they're going to use it. So it's going to be even harder to get more people in a few amount of hours on and off this property. We've got to do something. We don't believe, we prayed hard about this. We didn't hear God say, yeah, tear out this wall, make the auditorium twice the size, and spend $15 million to expand the auditorium. That's not what we heard. We heard God say, then why don't you use this place better? Why don't you have more services? We're going to be creating soon, we hope, a Sunday night service, like the Sunday morning services we have. We're going to be asking a lot of you to consider moving in the future to worshiping with your family on Sunday night as we use this wonderful facility in a more efficient way to the glory of God. Because folks, staying like it is is not an option. It's not good enough. Can I tell you what our goals are for Jerusalem? We really believe our 2020 goal is this, that we can in the next 15 years double the number of fully devoted followers of Christ right here at Richland Hills. We can do that without expanding this auditorium. We believe this is a God-given vision, and we accept it. Let's talk for a moment about Judea. Judea is the culture in Tarrant County and the Metroplex, much like the one most of us live in. Judea needs more churches. Did you know the next five years, 50,000 churches will close in America? There has never been a time in the history of this country where there are fewer churches per capita population than right now. And it's getting worse every year. Every week in America, 10 churches are closing and only two or three are starting We believe God is calling us to be a church-planting church. It's our goal to plant a new church somewhere in the Metroplex in the year 2006. And it's our goal to work in partnership with other churches of Christ and with Christian churches, our brothers and our fellowship and our movement, to start and plant many new churches in the years ahead. And let me just go ahead and get something out on the table. One of the things God put on my heart years ago, and I wasn't fully sure why, but a great burden that our fellowship divided almost 100 years ago over, well, we said it was over instrumental music. It wasn't. It was over pride and other issues, but you can't admit that, so we trumped up a a reason. It never should have happened. It dishonored God, and it needs to be repented of and healed. And in the year 2006... In the year 2006, different institutions and churches of Christ and Christian churches are going to have a year of healing. It's going to culminate, and I'm on the program to speak, at 2006 in Lexington. Thousands of us are going to meet at the North American Christian Convention, and we're going to repent before God for that division. And what's going to unite us is not arguments about worship preference. What's going to unite us is the mission. 
Because the mission, working together, will be much more effective than it's ever been working apart. Let me tell you what our 2020 goal is. It is to see, in the next 15 years, our congregation plant at least 10 new churches in the Metroplex and beyond in cooperation with other churches of Christ and Christian churches. And then let's talk for a moment about Samaria. Last fall, I I was on my way to do a funeral in South Fort Worth. And I was driving down a part of town in South Fort Worth where we don't drive often. Every business on the street I was on had a Hispanic surname. Dominguez Breaks, Rodriguez Cleaners, Rosario Grocery. And I began to have a burden. It was from God. I know it was from God. A heaviness descended over me. And I heard God say, what about these people? Who's going to plant a church here? You know what most people do? When a different culture moves in, we pick up the church and we move out. And we say things like, well, someone needs to take Jesus to that part of town. Jesus never left that part of town. The church did. And God gave me a burden. I will see, as long as he wants me to live in Fort Worth, I will see something happen about that. And so I hope in the year, by the year 2009 that we will plant an Hispanic church somewhere in Fort Worth. And when I say Hispanic, folks, I'm not wanting segregated worship. I want our church to be integrated. But let's be honest. When other cultures come to our church, they accept our culture. We need to plant churches that recognize there are other cultures in this part of the world. And if we would plant churches that recognize that as the dominant culture, there are people that would attend those churches because they don't have to cross the cultural barriers they have to cross to come here. And so I care about Samaria. And then, as most of you know, I've had a burden ever since I was in high school about racism, especially among African Americans. My very first sermon, I was 16 years old in Oak Cliff, and I preached against racism, and the elders met and told me I never could preach again. That's the first time I ever began to really question God's call on my life. I had the privilege last fall to attend. I was a retreat of some of the sharpest young African American preachers in our fellowship, and they're dying. They're dying because of the legalism that so many of us grew up with. They're dying because of lack of resources. They're needing hope. And I believe God put on my heart over 20 years ago a burden, and now God has shown me what we can do about it. And so I've already been in conversation with people from ACU, including Dr. Jerry Taylor, who preached here last year, great African-American professor and preacher, about beginning a program, a mechanism whereby young, sharp African-American men and women could be trained at our schools, where we could partner with an a African-American congregation and a sharp uh, minister to mentor these young men. And then we could be in dialogue with other churches with resources, send these men all over the world, and especially our country, to plant New churches in parts of town that historically our churches have too long avoided. Can I tell you what our 2020 goal is for Samaria? It is to plant at least four Hispanic churches in Texas. It is to create an effective mechanism for the training of African American church planters. And it's to see at least 20 new African-American churches started through the support of congregations like our own. We cannot ignore Samaria. And then I care about the ends of the earth. And I've got some great goals here. Let me tell you a, a very sad reality. 15 years ago... In Churches of Christ, there were 1,200 missionaries on the foreign fields. Today, there are 800. That's a 33% decrease. That 
is unacceptable. That cannot possibly honor God. God has opened up a door to do something about that. There's a wonderful ministry called Missions Resource Network. They've asked us to support an experienced missionary who will go to our church, who loves our missions ministry, and who will travel the country raising interest in missions and other churches to raise the bar of what they could do. We believe this can, in the next few years, dramatically increase the number of missionaries that will go out into foreign fields. And then in our own church, we want to continue to do what we're doing in missions and we want to increase it. We want to do more in global missions in the years ahead. It's not enough just to maintain what we have going now. And then finally, God has given me a big dream. I've always wondered how the world could truly be reached in our lifetime for Jesus. Our missionaries Because they're compelled to reach the lost. They don't put up with all of the silly fusses and fights churches in America put up with. In Moscow, in Mozambique, in Uganda, years ago, our missionaries decided we're going to work with people that lift up the name of Jesus. We're not going to fuss over things on the periphery. And in particular, they've worked with missionaries from Christian churches. There's a little Bible school in Uganda where our missionaries have worked for years. They've approached us about the idea of establishing a liberal arts Christian university in East Africa. It's an exciting dream. Traditionally, we've taken young Africans, tried to bring them to the States and send them back for training. That has not worked well at all. I believe Africa is becoming the most Christian continent on earth. I believe it's the continent that is going to change the world in this century. Our dream is to build a high-quality Liberal Arts College in East Africa. We've already been in discussion with Texas A&M University, Texas Tech, with Auburn University. We're going to build a, a college of agriculture, a college of business, a college of education, a college of communication, and a college of Bible. We're going to build a premier Christian university in East Africa that Africans are going to come from all over the continent to come, and they're going to meet Christ. But the dream's even bigger. How are we going to reach the Muslim world? Seriously. You ever thought about that? Shame on you if you haven't. Not by sending some young little white couple from ACU to live in Riyadh. What we're going to do when we establish a premier university is we're going to convert Egyptians and Ethiopians and Algerians and Sudanese and Libyans who come to this quality school, and they're going to know Jesus. And in the underbelly of the Muslim world, they're going to go home with their faith. And if you can see past one year and two, and if you can see 10 and 20 and 50 years into the future, we can change the world. So here's our 20. Here's our 2020 goal for the ends of the earth. It is to see our fellowship supporting 300 more missionaries. It is to support at least five more missionaries from Richland Hills. That's probably a a number far too low. And it is to see a thriving Christian university in East Africa built by members of Churches of Christ and Christian churches that are going to impact that continent and the Muslim world. Now, I believe dreams like this make the gates of hell tremble. But let me give you one more thing about vision. And that is that a God-given vision sees by faith what God can do through us. Vision requires faith. When they opened Disney World, somebody remarked, it's too bad Walt Disney did not live to see this. And Mike Vance, uh, who was uh, in charge of the creation department of Disney Studios, said, Walt Disney did see this. That's why it's here. We have talked today about dreams that are impossible to realize apart from the power of the Holy Spirit. God alone gets the glory 
for this vision and for its fulfillment. But we must make ourselves available for God to use. It's not enough to have vision. You've got to have a commitment to it. Do you remember Nehemiah? God gave him a vision. God put something on his heart. And immediately opposition rose. And people criticized him and said, you can't do it. And you know what he said? In chapter 2, verse 20, he said, the God of heaven will help us succeed. We, his servants, will start. There is a place for every one of you in this vision. Maybe it's going to be to help troubled teens. Maybe it's going to be to be on a group that helps plan church plantings to reach Hispanic people. Maybe it's going to be to help raise missions awareness around the world or to build a Christian university. Or maybe it's just going to be going across the street and bringing your neighbor the Sunday before Easter to hear the gospel. But there's a place for you in this vision. For all of us. And it's going to require commitment. It's going to take our time and our talents. And it's going to take our treasure. How are we going to fund this vision? Not with special offerings and not with car washes. We're going to fund this vision by the faithful, regular, consistent, generous tithes and offerings of people like you and me. We believe God has called us to raise millions of dollars in the next 15 years to accomplish his plans. Some will leave millions in their estates. But mostly this vision is going to be funded every single Sunday. When you take a journey to generosity. And you support the work of God. You heard me say if we became a tithing church. We would have between 10 to 15 million more dollars a year. To change the world. I'd like to ask the brothers now. To pass out the commitment cards. You got them in the mail. You were to bring them. But I know some probably forgot. Hold up your hand if you need one of these commitment cards. I'm going to give you a moment to fill it out. At the same time we're going to pass out. This sheet. Called Vision 2020. It has the definitions of our four areas of ministry on it. And inside it has our goals. It'll fold up. It'll stick right inside your Bible. You can pray over this every day. And by the way, let me tell you, the vision will change. You know why? Because as we grow, God will grow the vision. Now, it will not get smaller. I fully expect it will get bigger. So if you would go ahead and hold up your hand, if we could bring you a commitment card. In a moment, the praise team will sing a song, and I'm going to ask you to fill out your cards while that's happening, and then turn them to the aisles, and our elders will be down in front of all three of our services to receive your pledges. But let me tell you one more story. When Abraham Lincoln was president, he often enjoyed on Wednesday afternoons walking to the New York Presbyterian Church to hear Dr. Phineas Gurley speak at the Wednesday night services. Lincoln did not like creating a scene, and so if Dr. Gurley knew he was coming, he would open the door to his study, and Lincoln would come in the side of the church crack open the door to the sanctuary and hear Dr. Gurley without disturbing the service. One evening after walking back, his aide said, what did you think of Dr. Gurley's lesson? And President Lincoln said, well, his content was excellent. He spoke with great eloquence. You could tell he worked very hard on his lesson." And the aide said, so, you thought it was an outstanding sermon. And Lincoln said, no, I did not say that. And the aide said, but Mr. Preston, you said the content was good. The eloquence was evident. 
He had worked very hard. And President Lincoln said, yes, but Dr. Gurley left out the most important thing. He forgot to ask us to do something great. I'm asking. God as my witness, I will not stand before his throne and let him know that while I was your preacher, all I could do was say, well, you know, the church was no worse off while I was there. It is not enough that things stay the way they are. I am asking you to join us. Let's do something great. Let's be all God could use us to be. I still believe the church of Jesus Christ can change the world. And I'm asking this morning if you can see it. Let me say that again. God's vision for us is to change the world. Can you see it? I'm going to lead us in prayer. And after prayer, we'll sing, we'll fill out our cards, we'll turn them in. And then we'll hear a brief word from our elders and they will pray over us. Oh God, help us now to have your burden and your passion for this world. Forgive us, God, for the sin of being content with less than you've called us to be. Get us ready for big things, for big changes. As we sang a moment ago, give us one goal and one vision. To see Christ exalted in every tribe and tongue on earth. And may it start right here, right now in our hearts. With our stewardship of our time and our treasure and our talent. Help us lift up Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. We're pressing on the upward way. New heights we're gaining every day. Still praying as we're onward bound. Lord, plant our feet on higher ground. Let me ask in all three of our worship places for the elders to come up to the front of the rooms. I'm going to ask you now to turn in your cards to the aisles and our uh, friends will pick up those cards. And would you bring them please to the front of our worship places and let's present them, our tithes and our offerings and our commitments to our elders. Could the elders come up now to the front? And let's begin the process now of turning in our cards Let's go ahead and continue to sing this great song. These last two verses, let's stand while we sing them. We want to live above the world, 
though Satan's darts at us are hurled, for faith is God, the joyful sound, the song of saints on higher ground. Lord, lift us up and let us You can continue to bring your cards up if uh, you haven't completed that. Rick, on behalf of this church, I want to say thank you for another stirring and focused presentation. God has given you a great gift of communication. And the things that he says through you bless us all. Thank you for doing this with clarity and with energy that makes us all want to respond enthusiastically. Thank you. And I'd like to say thanks to the to the, to the uh, ministers and the staff who are not here with us right now, they're, they're with the children. Um, but it's because of their dedication and their organization uh, that we were able to have this time together. A lot of preparation and organization was required, and it's still going on. And we thank you for, for keeping the kids. We thank you for your commitment and your endorsement of this new direction. And now to the church, on behalf of the elders... I would like to say that we unanimously concur with and affirm the message that you have just heard. What you've heard this morning is the culmination of many months of discussion, prayer, fasting, studying, and planning. The shepherds and the leadership of this church have discussed and studied these concepts of vision, how it is obtained and what it looks like. We came to the conclusion that vision from God for a body such as ours typically comes through one man, and we believe that you have just heard such a vision from such a man. Oh, we all had a part in embellishing and polishing, and we offered a sounding board and critical thinking, but God has revealed, I think, through Rick, a basic direction to us that we can all get excited about and all be a part of. You folks have always responded very, very well to any challenges that we've laid before you. And, and as has been said before, we're at a place where we have to decide if, um, if we're going to move to the next level or stay put. I liken it to a group of mountain climbers who have come to a large and pleasant plateau. And we have the choice of pitching our tents and staying here in this comfortable place or roping ourselves together, striking our tents, and moving higher. As a leadership, we believe that God has a desire for this church to move forward to greater things for his kingdom. We believe that he's placed good objectives before us, and we seek your partnership in doing this, in accomplishing these great plans and dreams. Of course, we're going to continue to keep it before God, and we ask you to partner with us in that in continuing to pray to God that he show us what he wants us to do. As Rick has said, we need your partnership, your participation, your, your resource, your time, your money, and especially your prayers. We want to bathe this whole thing in prayer now, and so we're going to ask in each of the three venues that uh, one of the elders come forward and lead uh, us in a prayer, and we're going to do that in sequence. And I'm going to call on first on Kelly Phelps, Uh, in the junior high auditorium to lead a prayer there. Following him, uh, Randy Scroggins will lead a prayer in here, and Johnny Wilbanks will close our time of prayer 
uh, in the senior high auditorium. So let's, uh, let's all be standing while we pray together, would you? You pray with me, please. Kind Father, we thank you for giving us, as a local church, such a great dream, one that will outlive many alive today, one that will bless many who are yet unborn. Father, we ask that you will bless these commitments, multiply their effect like the loaves and fish beside the sea. Father, do through us more than we can ask or imagine. Father, help us to grow in the grace of giving so that to your glory countless hardships will be alleviated and many will come to know your redemptive power. Father, we love you. We ask that you allow us to grow in our love for you. And help us to love all who are made in your image, Father. It is through Jesus, your Son, and our Savior that we pray. Amen. Father, as we consider the fact that that from the beginning you told us what you intended for your church to accomplish, and you've given us your word, Father, and, and we've talked about today what Jesus told us to do. So, Father, we pray that you would help us to focus on these things. And and we have many ministries and many good ministries that need to refocus. We may even have some that that have concluded their benefit and their purpose here. We may have some that we need to initiate that we don't now have. Some ministries may look different as they refocus, and it may not even feel like the same ministry. And again, Father, this is change. And as Rick commented earlier, change is not always comfortable. And it's difficult to change a system that feels prosperous and successful. But Father, we pray that you give each one of us a heart to focus first in our own lives, in our walk with you personally, and then in our families. And then, Father, in our ministries and in our church here, and and hopefully we will have an effect and an impact as you are always wanting to focus all the church everywhere on bringing lost people to salvation and, and then on discipling so that they may in turn join us in that quest to bring more people to you. Help us to be relentless in considering and assessing everything in our lives and subjecting every thought that comes to us and asking if it is the highest and best way that we can serve the purposes that you've given us from the beginning and that we are affirming today. Thank you, Father, for the joy of coming together, Father, and and we realize as we see all of our church family in one place How joyful it will be when we can see the entire church family. Help us, Father, to keep crying out to you to unify the body of Christ here on earth. And then we look forward to the time that we are together in the hereafter. Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Kind Father, you tell us in Scripture that as God you are able to make all grace abound. So that in all things, at all times, we will have all that we need. And that we can abound in every good work. It is you, O God, that has scattered abroad your gifts to the poor. We declare that your righteousness endures forever, even to this day. Now, Father, as you have supplied seed to the sower and bread for food, will you also supply and increase your store of seed and enlarge the harvest of your righteousness? Father, you have made us rich in every way so that we may be made generous on every occasion. Now may your generosity working through us result in our thanksgiving to you. Father, may the numbers that are represented on these pledge cards be like those five loaves and two fishes. We ask your blessings upon our provision, and now, Father, multiply it to feed those in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and the ends of the earth. We are asking you to bless us and to use us to your glory so that your kingdom will grow and lost souls will come to know Jesus. Create in us, O God, a desire to be committed to the tithe and more, never less. Make generous givers of each of your servants at this church. And as you provide, Father, make us wise with your knowledge how best to use what you have provided. May the presence of the Holy Spirit make us cheerful in our service of giving and may generosity always be a part of who we are. Now, Father, would you make us a church 
that is the voice to a generation that we will never see. Would you help us to be true to the vision that you have called us to? Would you help us to expand even the vision, Father, that you have laid before us? I thank you for your servant, Rick, for the clarity that you have given to him, for the voice that he has made plain your vision to us today. Now, Father, may we each take serious the part that we play and the role that you have assigned to us. And may we do it, Lord God, so that you are glorified and exalted as our Lord and Father and that Jesus Christ is exalted as our Savior. We cannot accomplish this, Father, except it be by the power of the Holy Spirit. Fill us now and use us as you see fit. In the sweet and precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Go ahead and remain standing, please. Uh, Let me just make you aware of several things real quick. This uh, Cross Talk Sunday is just three weeks away. And I promise you, if you'll bring a guest that day, they will hear the gospel. They will hear the gospel. Be praying about that. It's going to be a great weekend. Next Sunday, folks, I couldn't fit it all in. So next Sunday, I'm going to talk about this some more. But we're going to meet in three services, not in one, okay? Back to the regular times. But we're going to talk about this some more because I'm still too pumped to sit down. The uh, Wednesday night service I'm excited about this week. The next two weeks, we're going to continue our study of prayer. Come join us. Don't we have fun? We're all together. We're all together at the summit. So come join us. Now, you're going to be dismissed in a few moments. And I want to thank you for coming in one car. But we got a lot of people here trying to get home. A lot of them are parked over at Sam's. They're going to take shuttles. A lot of you are going to leave at the same time. And I've only got three words for you. Love one another. Okay? Love one another. I'm going to ask the praise team to come up here and join me now. We're going to sing one more song, and we've got to do this while we sing this song. Uh, All of you that have children in our Bible classes at FLC or back in their normal classes, at least one of the parents right now, I'm going to dismiss you. We will not release the children until they are picked up by a parent or guardian. So if you have a child to pick up, go and do that now while the rest of us remain, and we sing Shine, Jesus, Shine. Lord, the light of your love is shining In the midst of the darkness shining Jesus, light of the world, shine upon us Set us free by the truth you now bring us Shine on me Shine on me Shine, Jesus, shine Fill this land with the Father's glory Set our hearts on fire Flow, river, flow Flood the nations With grace and mercy Send forth your word Lord, and let there be light Lord, I come to your awesome presence From the shadows into your radiance By the blood I may enter your brightness Search me, try me, consume all my darkness Shine on me Shine on me Shine, Jesus, shine Fill this land with the Father's glory Blaze, spirit, blaze Set our hearts on
Father, you are a great God. And you said in your word that you are able to do more than we ask or even imagine through your church. Bring out, God, the greatness in your church. Not for our sake, but for Jesus, we pray. Amen.